Washington, D.C., this is On the Ground. The murder of renowned writer Rafat Alarir in Gaza galvanizes artists, activists, and children to continue resistance to Israeli occupation, apartheid, and genocide in Palestine. He moved to a place that's less populated, thinking that this way he won't expose the overcrowded building that he was in to any kind of attack. And when he went to his sister's house, they hit him right at the floor where he was, along with his relatives. They killed them. They are now, as we speak, still under the rubble. And at a march to defund the war machine near the Pentagon, protesters target the Biden administration and offices of military contractor Boeing. Boeing, Boeing, what do you say? Boeing, Boeing, what do you say? How many kids did you bomb today? All that and more coming up. Welcome to On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Ivarum. First, some headlines. Nearly 18,000 men, women, and children have been confirmed killed and more than 50,000 wounded by Israeli attacks in Gaza, according to the Gaza Health Ministry. These numbers don't include thousands that are known to be trapped underneath rubble of bombed homes and other structures. On December 15, 2023, when this show goes to broadcast, there are reports of heavy bombing by Israel in southern Gaza in Khan Yunus and Rafah, some of the latest areas where Gazans were told by Israel to flee for safety. Leaders of major U.S. labor unions rallied on Capitol Hill Thursday to urge President Biden to support an immediate ceasefire in Gaza without delay. Unions including the United Auto Workers, the Postal Workers Union, and the United Electrical Radio and Machine Workers of America held a press conference outside the Capitol with Democratic U.S. lawmakers including Representatives Rashida Tlaib, Cori Bush, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and Ilhan Omar. This is UAW President Sean Fain. This is a product of our belief in humanity, that innocent civilians must be protected. You know, we cannot bomb our way to peace. The only path forward is to build peace and social justice. It's through a ceasefire. We'll have more voices of people rallying here in the nation's capital for a free Palestine after headlines. And to continue our headlines, I'm joined by our geopolitical analyst, Professor Gerald Horn, the Morris Professor of History at African-American Studies at the University of Houston. Welcome back to the show, Gerald. Thank you for inviting me. Well, on Thursday, December 14th, the House of Representatives passed an $886 billion defense bill, and this is known as the NDAA, and this is the military spending separate from the billions of dollars that they're still wrangling over in terms of providing emergency funding to Ukraine and Israel. So President Biden is expected to sign the bill, and It includes several controversial provisions, one of which is an updating of a 
a program that most civil liberties groups consider spying provisions that allows agencies here in Washington, D.C. to spy on Americans. And in addition to that, some of the Republicans didn't get what they wanted, a ban on travel for abortion care and also transgender care. But it did throw overboard the teaching of so-called critical race theory in schools. So we're talking about hundreds of billions of dollars in taxpayer dollars being pumped into the military industrial complex. But at the same time, the Biden administration is worried about some other economic indicators and spending. Well, this military budget may be preparing for a world that soon will not exist. I'm referring to the fact that the possibility still reigns that Mr. Trump will return to the White House in about a year or so. He has pledged to pull the United States, we think, out of North Atlantic Treaty Organization, meaning NATO. And already you can see that European politicians and politics, excuse me, are scrambled. If you look at the vote at the General Assembly on the ceasefire in Palestine, you'll see that most of the European Union did not stand with the United States on that vote. Even Britain saw it appropriate to abstain. But more than this, you might also have noticed that Poland is spending like a madman on military spending by some measures more than Germany and Italy, for example, combined in recent months. What is that for? I dare say that it might be tied to Polish territorial claims on Ukraine, which is obviously in a weakened state, and not to mention the reparations claims that Poland has been pushing against Berlin because of the depredations perpetrated during World War II. Likewise, with regard to the so-called emergency spending, What's strange there and has not been covered sufficiently by the mainstream media is that Mr. Biden is under tremendous pressure from certain leading corporations. I'm thinking of Starbucks, for example. If you look at their stock, it's been going through the basement. It's been going down sharply because it's associated with the United States. It's a consumer-facing industry, and it is being boycotted systematically. Uh, in West Asia, and to a degree in North Africa. If you look at McDonald's, which is also not doing very well after the story was released about the McDonald's in Israel giving free meals to Israeli soldiers, you saw that in Istanbul, Turkey, a pro-Palestinian protester uh, unleashed mice in a McDonald's restaurant, sending customers scaring hither and yon. And likewise, the loose-lipped Mr. Biden also charged the other day that Israel is engaged in what he called, quote, indiscriminate, unquote, bombing. Fundamentally, he was accusing Israelis of being war criminals because indiscriminate bombing is a war crime. Uh, That did not necessarily go down very well in Mr. Netanyahu's war cabinet. And so we see that this war against the civilian population of Gaza is having unintended consequences, just as we also see that this military budget, and let's state the obvious, obviously they should be spending that amount on the unhoused and on hunger, but in any case, 
that military budget is preparing for a world that soon may not exist. I usually end the headlines with uh, culture and media, and uh, I was struck by a headline that you mentioned a few days ago uh, where Brett Stevens was basically saying that only Jews could uh, criticize Israel or Zionists. And you said, well, so does that mean only Black people can, if if Black people said that only Black people could criticize Black nationalists, then, then that would be, that would be forbidden. <laughs> anyway, so uh, talk about that. Well, what Brett Stevens was doing was laying out what he considered to be a basic lesson in what is anti-Semitism, what is anti-Jewish fervor. And of course, he endorsed the vote on Capitol Hill some days ago that suggested that anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. And that is what led him to suggest that those who are Jewish who are critical of Zionism, of which there is a goodly number, I mean, we've talked about that a, a number of times on this program, they get a pass. They can't be considered anti-Jewish, anti, uh, uh, anti-Semitic. And obviously that raises a number of questions. And the larger question, it seems to me, as I've said a number of times, is that as the dust clears and as the dust settles, we're really going to have to do a serious interrogation of Jewish nationalism, which the left has not necessarily addressed, although, of course, they address Black nationalism all the time. I can't tell you the number of Jewish Americans who I've received emails from or even looked at some of their books that criticize Ibram X. Kendi of Boston University, uh, Kim Crenshaw of critical race theory fame, for example. And yet they are not necessarily as critical of Jewish nationalism, which Obviously, we need to begin to interrogate, particularly in light of what's happening with Senator Bernie Sanders, who, of course, has lived in Israel and, as we know, is considered a tribune not only of the left, but of social Democrats generally, but somehow has not managed to come out for a ceasefire. Uh, That is obviously a demerit with regard to Senator Sanders, but I think it raises a larger question about the Jewish nationalism that we need to interrogate because whatever can be said about black nationalism, it's doubtful that it will serve as a trigger for World War III. I'm not so sure we can say that with regard to the present iterations of Jewish nationalism. Yeah, that's what we're all looking at, and it's staring us in the face for sure. As uh, action in the Middle East or West Asia only seems to be ratcheting up each day. I've been speaking with our geopolitical analyst, Professor Gerald Horn. Thank you for joining me today, Gerald. Thank you for inviting me. And those are going to be our headlines and happenings. This is On the Ground. Stay with us. I had a thought that I could change a thing that was not real. I shared with it my space and my time.
to my brain A thought so bright I can never be the same A revelation A transformation A thought so clear and bright A thought that brought the light A revelation A transformation I want you to join me in welcoming Yasmin from MD to Palestine Give Yasmin a round of applause
Unfortunately, we live in a world where Zionist word of mouth is seen as gospel. Where Zionists can say whatever the hell they want with no evidence and it is believed. And we live in a world where videos of Palestinian men and young boys being stripped naked and lined up to be executed does not overpower Zionist word of mouth. How disgusting. To be completely honest, this reality has made it extremely difficult for me to stay hopeful because it feels as though no matter how much destruction and Zionist barbarism that we have documented, there are no consequences. And then I remind myself that we create the consequences. That we will not let a single crime go unpunished. That every Zionist thief and murderer inside and outside of our land will pay the price for their terrorism. I now understand this video documentation by Martez, Bissan, Plastia, Hind, and many other journalists is no longer for the world, for the governments, for the politicians. It's for the people. It's for the people with consciousness and with heart. It's for the people. It's a reminder that this will not end with a ceasefire. This will not end with a two-state solution. This will end with total liberation for Palestinians. So don't look away. I know it's hard, but let this horror fuel your fire for liberation. The last thing I want to say is don't be fooled by liberal Zionism. Liberal Zionism has no place in our movement. I would rather you tell me straight to my face that you are disgusted by my existence than feebly call for a ceasefire but still support the Zionist regime of quote-unquote Israel. The Zionist ideology directly is in conflict with human life. With human life of black people, of brown people, of any people of color, of any people who do not match their white supremacist beliefs. The Zionist ideology needs to be ridden from this earth. When you call for peace, Know that this is what needs to happen before peace can be achieved. Peace comes with liberation. Peace comes with Zionism, white supremacy, racism being wiped off this earth. So I need you guys to say it with me. Resistance is justified.
to lead with, uh, with life after Elise and Harriet's wildest dreams. One thousand children have become amputees in the past 63 days. They have hit the largest and the oldest mosque in Gaza intentionally a couple of days ago. Over 1,000 family bloodlines have been wiped off the registry. 64 journalists have been killed in Gaza. That's a journalist every day for 64 days. So we have to continue to raise our voices. Yet, right now we have congressional hearings about anti-Semitism, but not a word from these same representatives about the three Palestinian students that were shot on their campus, one of which will never walk again. We have a six-year-old boy who was murdered in his home by his landlord. His mother also brutally stabbed and left in critical condition. Students have seen some of the clips that came out of that congressional hearing where they grilled the presidents from local from universities all over the country about growing anti-Semitism on their campuses. But yet, these same representatives have nothing to say about the rise in Islamophobic hate in this country. The amount of Zionists the amount of Zionists that threaten people's lives on a daily basis online, but yet they're not being classified as terrorists. I will not allow my speech to be censored by representatives who have taken millions of dollars from APAC, a pro-Israel lobby. Joe Biden has taken over seven million dollars from APAC during his 40-some year career. So I do not trust his judgment. I do not trust the judgment of any of these corrupt politicians that say whether Israel is right or wrong. These people are not morally qualified to allocate what my taxes are going to. genocide. Our taxes are going to fund a proxy state that acts on behalf of the U.S. Empire. And I will not sit back and be silent while they steal my goddamn money to kill 10,000 As Malcolm X says, the Zionist argument to justify Israel's present occupation of Arab Palestine has no intelligent or legal basis in history. The state of Israel is nothing more than an extension of the white supremacy that is manufactured in this country. I was one of the activists that went to Anthony Blinken's house yesterday. Because these can't get a day of peace while we are spending our money on genocide. Over 60% of the country supports a ceasefire. 
But we know, but we know that a ceasefire is not the end of this fight. We will not stop fighting until all 7.2 million Palestinian people get a right to return to their sovereign. on this because god damn I am enraged y'all I'm gonna end on this we must continue to make these uncomfortable whether or not they act like they don't hear us they don't see us they absolutely do So continue to challenge power, continue to amplify your voices, continue to talk about the fact that Palestine will be liberated from the river. You just heard participants in the Defund the War Machine rally held December 9th, 2023 near the Pentagon in Arlington, Virginia, sponsored by the Palestinian Youth Movement. Maryland to Palestine, the Party for Socialism and Liberation, D.C. chapter, and other organizations. Speakers included Afini Evans of Harriet's Wildest Dreams and Yasmin of From Maryland to Palestine. This is On the Ground. I'm Esther Averam. Stay with us. And I've seen the leaves turn to golden brown. This is On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Averam. And now I'm joined by Zayn el He's a Lebanese-born poet, writer, and teacher. His most recent book is, Is This How You Eat a Watermelon? A critically praised book of short narratives described as inviting readers into a world where love, war, and trauma collide with the desire to consume life or be consumed by it. Welcome back to On the Ground, Zane. Thank you, Esther. So I wanted to talk to you for many reasons. Uh, You're my fellow comrade in a group we had here in D.C. called D.C. Poets Against the War. Mm -hmm. And at that time, it was at the start or before the start of the U.S. invasion of Iraq. And that work went on for, I don't know, many months or years, as long as that horrible conflict went on that killed more than, I say, two million Iraqis, the the worst figure I heard. But I've heard at least the most conservative people say more than a million people. And 
when I look at the carnage in Gaza, this attack on Gaza, it just reminds me of the work of uh, people uh, like the Rifat Alouir, who was murdered recently, who was instrumental in starting this group, I believe, We Are Not Numbers, and how the the conflicts in West Asia are often described in, by these numbers, like people become numbers. And one thing that's happened with the advent of social media is that in this conflict, the people being murdered in Gaza are not numbers. So why don't you just talk to me as someone born in Lebanon, your top line thoughts about where we are right now. You told me before we started recording that you would not be reading any poems because poems won't save us. So tell me in some other words what you're feeling and yes. thinking right now. Yes, thanks, Esther. Um, so just to tell, to give you an idea about what's happening right now, one image I want the listener to to have right now about the horror of what the Israelis are doing with the support of the Biden administration is that Dr. Rifat Al-Arir, who was a teacher, who was a poet, uh, who was a translator, was given a warning when he was at a school uh, a few days ago. And then when the Israeli commander or the Israeli high-ranking officer told him that he, they know where he is. This is somebody who is not carrying a weapon. He's carrying a marker. He said that all he has to defend himself was a marker. Right. And uh, he uh, moved to, to a place that's less populated, thinking that th- this way he won't expose the overcrowded building that he was in to any kind of attack. And when he Mm -hmm. went to his sister's house, they hit him right at the floor where he was along with his relatives. They killed them. They are now, as we speak, still under the rubble, as are thousands of Palestinians. That's where we are right now. This is first and foremost, not Netanyahu, not uh, uh, any of these commanders who are calling openly for genocide. This is on the hands of Biden himself. And this is on the hands of Obama, who brought us Biden, who basically gathered a bunch of complicit. These are all people right now, including Kamala Harris, who he gathered them to basically stab Sanders in the back, back when he was running, and he brought us Biden instead. And that's why we have the senile, white supremacist, elderly man that can't forget, he forgets often where he is as president. But Obama knew exactly what kind of a person Biden is, and yet he brought this monster into the picture. Biden is such a Zionist that back in the day in 1982, when Israel invaded my country and also were complicit in the Sabra and Shatila massacre, one of the most awful massacres in the history of the 20th century, when Begin was called by Reagan himself to, to say, where Reagan was telling him to stop the war, to cease fire, basically, because this is uh, beginning to look bad for Israel and that this is genocide. It was Biden that objected to Reagan. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Uh, So uh, Begin tells the story himself. 
Begin says there was a strapping young uh, senator, meaning Biden, that actually said, I would have gone further. This is the monster who we're dealing with. And I'm putting out a call for my community. If I see anybody supporting Biden, I will, I will confront you. I will expose you to the public. I don't care if Satan himself comes in. He, we cannot vote for one white supremacist or the other. And I mean, Trump is the other white supremacist. They're equally, there's no lesser evil. These people, they've been playing the same games. These parties have been playing the same games over and over again, where they escalate things, where they say, I'm worse than the other. And we play along with this game of this lesser evil. And we've been spiraling downwards into this horror of a world that we exist in, where money is being shifted completely hundreds of billions of dollars put into death industry and feeding the military industrial complex, which both parties feed at length. And this is including Sanders, by the way, who's, who betrayed us. You know, I mentioned Sanders earlier. I just want to make sure that people understand that Sanders betrayed us too. There is very few honorable people in the Congress, and there's no honorable people in the Senate right now. So this is where we are right now. This is where we stand right now. And I want to say that one thing we're not getting is the other side of the screen, meaning while the the IDF is parading men that they, they strip down to orchestrate some kind of film about uh, propaganda film that they are actually catching the Palestinian resistance. They are not. They are not. If they've caught one leader or one commander or one soldier, they would have paraded them. We would have seen it on all the major networks. But that's why they had to orchestrate this thing using civilians civilian men stripping them down, walking around them naked, uh, making them hold uh, weaponry, and then filming it and saying, we've arrested uh, people from the Palestinian resistance. Yeah, I heard you talk about that video. For for those of of you who are in other cities other than DC who don't listen to WPFW and or or its podcasts uh Zane Elamine also does a show on Pacifica Shewana I know I'm messing up the name but Shewana you're right And and I heard you talking about this propaganda video and other videos that they're putting on their Telegram channels showing you know proving that they are committing atrocities and torturing people and, you know, running over corpses and injured people and uh, these horrible things. But I wanted to pick up on something that you were saying earlier when you were talking about Biden and, you know, you really brought out the fact that, you know, years ago, you know, there's still this video of him saying, you know, if there wasn't an Israel, we'd have to make one. And just this week, he's being roundly criticized, even in some areas of the corporate media for, on the one hand, telling donors that Israel is uh, going too far, that they are having this, quote unquote, indiscriminate bombing, right? And that, you know, that they are losing the support of the world. But on the other hand, he's just sent them, you know, thousands of pounds more of weaponry, right? The figure might be something like 15,000 pounds of bombs 
So you have this consistency of, you know, from the eighties here to 2023, uh, improving that you don't have to be Israeli to be a Zionist. And that's the other thing I wanted to push back on because you kind of personalize this in terms of Biden and, and Netanyahu and, and sure all of those war criminals up on Capitol Hill, but isn't this really, the military industrial complex, isn't this U S imperialism and capitalism just kind of projecting its power using Israel as this offshore base, military base to do its, to try to continue to control that part of the world. Yeah, of course it is. Of course it is. It's, uh, you know, uh, ultimately, you know, when, when Biden says, if there wasn't an Israel we'd invented, he's really explaining to you, if somebody's listening, that it is a settler colonial invention, right? That it's it's already been invented. It was invented by Britain. It was invented by Zionists. It was invented by Biden. It was invented by Obama, who used to sit and have dinner with Edward Said, one of the most prominent Palestinian intellectuals. And as soon as he got into the office, he began to support Israel. And also, during one of the mowing, what Israel calls mowing the grass, they're like, their repeated attacks on Gaza and repeated genocidal acts. This is something that he actually, just like Biden, added more weaponry and ammunition during the invasion of Gaza. It wasn't just Biden, it was Obama. Of course, it was both parties do this. Uh, and and what what we have to see also, we have to look at the record of Biden He's been, he started as a segregationist. He's one of the architects of the crime bill. So he's, Mm. when I say a white supremacist, I'm not really, this is not hyperbole. This is really true. If you think about the crime bill in the 90s that was orchestrated by them, it was, he was the architect of it. When you think about that and think about how many people of color, how many black men and women were incarcerated or executed because of that crime bill and the Effective Death Penalty Act, uh, which him and Bill Clinton passed. So he's already a racist, and that's what makes it all the more disgusting. People like Claiborne, black people supporting Biden, and knowing his history, and knowing also Kamala Harris, who's who I call the hollow totem of identity politics. They added so many identities to her. Oh, uh, and therefore she's an anti-racist. She's one of the biggest white supremacists I know. She's married to a Zionist that's also a white supremacist. So, you know, this is, uh, of course, at the root of it, we go back to capitalism, at the root of it is the military-industrial complex. The military-industrial complex in the United States, and we're talking about Raytheon, we're talking about McDonnell Douglas, we're talking about Lockheed Martin, we're talking about Northrum Grumman, uh, all those uh, and Boeing and Boeing. And Boeing and I think Boeing. I saw you Saturday out at the near the Pentagon where we stopped at Boeing's headquarters. Exactly. The uh, the next phase is going to be confronting that's already being confronted. We've already having major victories because some of the weapons manufacturers in Europe have been confronted in the past year, way before October 7, and with direct action. And now that's having an impact. And what we need to do, and what 
Netanyahu himself slipped out by mistake is that he knows that the increasing demonstration, the increasing resistance around the world, which is also targeting the roots of uh, weapon delivery and ammunition, which is also having like the longshoremen in Oakland and the longshoremen in Washington state confront the ships that are loading weapons and refusing to unload them. This is, this happened in the fight against apartheid in South Africa. And it was a very effective one. So right now, the direct action is going to move towards that issue, the military-industrial complex, which is at the heart of this. With, you know, We can talk all about the regional politics and everything, but that the, at the end of the day, it's the profits of these companies that I just mentioned. It's the profits of the military-industrial complex that run this country. And... Uh, that's why Palestine has no longer become just about Palestine. Palestine, the issue of Palestine, has really taken off the mask of uh, uh, the, the, this American democracy and showing how unrepresentative our governments are, whether it's here or in Europe or in Canada or in Australia, where people are a poll after poll shows, for example, that Americans, even Republicans, when you count in Republicans, are for a ceasefire and our representatives are not even budging an inch with the exception to like a handful of, of our representatives, including people like Rashida Tlaib. So also we just spend two years uh, talking about uh, before this, several years at the end of the Trump administration talking about Russian interference in our politics. And now Israel is being exposed as completely being embroiled in that kind of interference with really blatant offers. Like, for example, the, the two people that were offered each offered $20 million by Israel, by the Israeli lobby to basically run against Rashid Tlaib and they turned it down and then it went public. Let's see people like Rachel Maddow or NPR who spent, they spent half of their news time on this Russian interference. Let's see them uh, report one story about the fact that there is a foreign government, an outpost, a settler colonial outpost that's the most heavily interfering with with our politics. Let's see one story about that. But yeah, you're right, Esther. At the end of the day, it is about capitalism. And that's that's why billions around the world, not just millions, billions around the world are rising and seeing this clearly. And especially the Gen Z generation, God bless them, the kids are all right, that are really exposing that and taking an anti-capitalist and, and, and really pointing to the military-industrial complex. I mean, Americans should remember uh, around tax time that you're paying half of your taxes towards that kind of military-industrial complex. Half of your tax money is going towards military. That's the kind of economy that exists, and that has to end. There's no more. The the world has seen the savagery of this military-industrial complex. You know, what you're saying is so right in terms of this conflict, just pulling the mask off of the reality of Israel as an apartheid state, 
is pulling the mask off of this equation of Zionism with Judaism, despite the retarded <laughs> uh, passage of this resolution in Congress. I don't know the exact date, but last week, as of you know, as we're as we're talking, and I'm also grateful in a way that the stories of the Palestinian people and the Palestinian resistance have been brought out, you know, in spite of this slaughter. So more people, if they didn't know before, they know about the Nakba. They know that Israel just didn't kind of just blossom on this, you know, place, you know, that in 1948, you know, three quarters of a million people were ethnically cleansed, meaning displaced. There were, you know, 15,000 people murdered in these uh, vicious attacks by Zionist militias that went throughout Palestine and just pushing people, you know, out of the country so that the state could be founded, you know, and more people understand that it's not just a mosque. It's not just Gaza. You know, hundreds of people are being killed in the West Bank, tortured, you know, kidnapped. As many people as were released by Israel were actually kidnapped at the same time. So it was kind of like a, not really a, a relief for the Palestinian people. And just also just the idea of settler colonialism, you know, something that you said earlier, because a lot of people through that reality, they are able to understand and link what's happening in Palestine to the anti-colonial movements that have occurred all across the world and throughout history. And even the New York Times I saw had to connect this struggle and understand how especially young people are relating this to movements for justice, period. You know, you can't see women and children slaughtered every day on your phone and realize that this is, this is just an attempt to erase these people. This is an attempt to continue this settler colonial project. They are the ones that are going from the river to the sea. You know, they're the ones that are, trying to fulfill this, yeah, I don't know, mythology or whatever for a greater Israel. And that brings me to even the attack on Lebanon. And like people, they hear these terms, Hamas, Hezbollah. This country uh, characterizes, defines these groups as terrorists. But no, these are resistance fighters, part of something now called the axis of resistance of people indigenous people in that region fighting against this settler colonial state. So we're kind of running out of time, but I wanted to to segue to two more things. And then I, I'd like you to end with Rafat. And that is, I know you're a teacher. And I received on November 13th an email. It's a campaign being run on behalf of five teachers in Montgomery County schools who've been placed on administrative leave for advocating for the rights of Palestinians. And apparently what's happening in the Montgomery County schools is that while it's, it's not okay for, to advocate for Palestinian rights, it is okay to advocate for Israel right now in Montgomery County. And for those people not in, in DC, Montgomery County is the uh, suburb just north of Washington, DC. It's one of the wealthiest counties in the country and considered a liberal county. And I just want to find this piece here. There's one group that is allowed to advocate for Israel. And 
There are special teacher trainings designed and conducted by the Jewish Community Relations Council, JCRC. And this is okay, but it's not okay for these teachers to advocate for Palestine. And so there's a petition being circulated on the Action Network by the Zen Education Project, uh, those of us who know that excellent project, that is advocating, that has mounted a petition drive, a letter writing campaign, and that is to have these teachers not only reinstated, but also for a fair and unbiased process and situation in Montgomery County so that both people who want to support Israel, people who want to support Palestine can have a freedom of speech, which is what we're supposed to have, and not have people who want to advocate for Palestine targeted in this way. And I think, you know, maybe you want to share a little bit about how students and teachers are being targeted for advocating for Palestine that you've seen. Yeah, of course. You know, the Israeli embassy uh, actually targeted professors at AU. There's uh, uh, also one of our Palestinian professors. Oh, we should tell people that you teach at American University. Yeah. Okay. When you say AU, yeah, thanks. One of our professors was actually, he came back one evening to find a death threat, a threat to his life, that a note that has been placed under his door. So there is, of course, an attack, but at the same time, students and faculty are not just standing still. They're confronting this. They're confronting presidents. They're putting them on notice. And we saw that kind of defiance in Columbia University in New York, where mm-hmm. basically when they kicked out the Students for Justice in Palestine chapter and the Jewish Voice for Peace, or they suspended them rather at, at Columbia University, the demonstrations just got bigger. Uh, and I see this at American University. I see it at Georgetown. I see it everywhere in the DMV area. So there is... Of course, because they're losing the PR game, people around the world are seeing the savagery of the Israeli state, and it's making them sick. I've seen solidarity come from the most unlikely corners. This is what happened around South Africa. Columbia University also confronted anti-apartheid activists uh, when they were fighting Uh, Hmm. for the liberation of South Africa. So even though we're witnessing this tremendous genocide and this just unbelievable, horrific, this horror, just the resistance from people there and here, you know, gives me encouragement and to know that we chant a lot, you know, the people united will never be defeated. It's kind of like seeing that in action. But but I wanted to end with something from Rifat Alouir. And I know on your show, you mentioned how a poem of his had basically gone viral. I'm talking about how people should just fly white kites to, to represent the, the spirits and I suppose the energy of so many martyrs, you know, rising from Gaza. So now uh, people at demonstrations, because of Rifat's call to fly the kite, to give the kind of image of angels floating in the sky for these Palestinian children that are being 
killed and dismembered and buried under rubble, the ones that are surviving to see that and to think that it's an angel, uh, to give them some kind of temporary relief or hope. There's a friend of mine that was working with the International Solidarity Movement to support Palestinians. And one day they were in Nablus and the IDF came through and pushed everybody back home and said that there is going to be, uh, that they can't leave the homes for until the next day. So what happened is that she went to sleep to take a nap. And when she woke up, she looked out of the window because she heard a rustle and she realized that Palestinian kids are flying kites out of their windows. Oh. Um, so even though they were trapped, their souls were soaring in the sky. They were just telling the occupying force that no matter what you do to us, we'll still we'll liberate ourselves in one way or another. And one day I was doing a lecture at the Jerusalem Fund here in D.C., and while I was talking about that story, somebody sent to me on my phone the news that the kids from Gaza, from Gaza, as you would say here in the United States, had just broke the record of the number of kites being flown all at once at the beach. There were over 5,000 kites that Palestinian kids flew on the shore of Gaza at one time. So this has a history, this kite issue has a history that's interlinked with this call for Rifat to make kites. And you're going to see more of these white kites flying around with his words on it. That's wonderful. So important. And I think that's actually the perfect point to end uh, our conversation. But we'll be sure to have you back sooner than you than this last interval. Okay. I've been speaking to Zayn el Writer, poet, teacher, activist, Renaissance man, uh, comrade to all of us. Thank you, Zane, for joining me on the show. Thank you, Esther. If I Must Die by Rifat Alaria. If I must die, you must live to tell my story, to sell my things, to buy a piece of cloth and some strings. Make it white with a long tail, so that a child somewhere in Gaza, while looking heaven in the eye, awaiting his dad who left in a blaze and bid no one farewell, not even to his flesh, not even to himself, sees the kite, my kite you made, flying up above, and thinks for a moment, an angel is there, bringing back love. If I must die, let it bring hope. Let it be a tale. And those words from slain, renowned Palestinian poet and writer Rafat Alarir will be the last words on this episode of On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org. They were read by actor Brian Cox. You can work with us, support us, and listen to all of our current and past shows on the website we maintain, onthegroundshow.org. If you like the show, let us know by liking us on Facebook or Twitter or supporting us on patreon.com forward slash onthegroundshow. And I link to all of the shows on my Instagram page, which is Esther, E-S-T-H-E-R underscore Averum, I-V. E-R-E-M, like Mary. You can also write us at contact at onthegroundshow.org. 
Our podcast is On the Ground with Esther Averam, and that's on all your podcast platforms, including Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, Android, all those. The music we played this hour included Revelation by Doug Karn and Gene Karn, the Liberation Song, Red, Black, and Green by Gil Scott Heron and Brian Jackson, and our theme music is Voodoo Child by Jimi Hendrix. I'm Esther Averam. Until next time, keep raising your voice. Peace. It's that time of the year, and I know so many of our on-the-ground listeners will be receiving solicitations for donations. And I want to remind you that On the Ground is a totally listener-sponsored show, and we are a not-for-profit. We are a registered not-for-profit in the United States. So that means that anything that you give is tax-deductible. It could be that some of us are in a position to be very generous. And if you are, I ask you to please consider On the Ground in your end-of-year giving. The easiest way to give is on our Patreon page. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N forward slash on the ground show. You can also give on PayPal and find out other ways to give on our website on the ground show.org. But if you enjoy the show, if you check out the show, if you enjoy what we're able to produce as this labor of love, please join with us and uh, be an activist with us, be an active agent of articulation in these perilous times and support independent media because we only have you to rely on. So again, patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, and also onthegroundshow.org has links to PayPal and the address to send a check if you can do that. But whatever you do, know that it will be much appreciated. Thank you.